I thought I should be in heaven. And I thought that the first person I would see would be Jesus. And so I thought somehow this guy doesn't, I isn't who I thought Jesus would look like. And so I was puzzled. I was continued to be puzzled, followed him up over the slope. And as it opened up at the top of the slope, it opened up into a, a totally different landscape that was extremely green and lush and filled, just dotted with beautiful flowers and, and colors that you can't even begin to describe. Karen Thomas, welcome to Passion Harvest. I'm really, really so honored to have you on the show today, and I can't wait to share your story with the Passion Harvest audience. Welcome. Oh, thank you so much. Mm -hmm. I'm glad to be here, and I'm glad to share my experience with your audience. I've done a bit of research. You've had a profound near-death experience and clinically did and verified by doctors. <clears throat> Excuse me. This is your show today. So wherever you want to take it, I would love you to share your powerful, life-changing experience with the audience. Okay. Well, I guess I will just begin at the beginning. Um, and the beginning, as far as my experience goes, is um, that my husband and I and our two children, who were nine, my daughter, and six, my son, had moved from our lifetime home in upstate New York to Alaska. And um, I, where I was working as a physical therapist and my husband was working as a machinist. And I injured my back, um, a second injury to my back, uh, and was a laminectomy that had happened prior. And with this ruptured disc, uh, they, I knew I was going to have to have surgery and just didn't know whether they were going to be able to do another laminectomy or a spinal fusion. So um, anyway, the operation day was one of the first surgeries of the day. And um, my husband and children were there and they walked with me by my stretcher as I was taken down to the OR suites. And this surgery was taking place, by the way, in the same hospital that I worked in. So um, anyway, um, I was taken to the OR. And um, in the OR, I was moved onto the table and turned onto my stomach so that they could reopen an incision in my back. And so the anesthesia was given. I was out, as one would expect. But mid-surgery, I suddenly was conscious, and I was found my consciousness to be up near the ceiling, up near the corner of the operating room, near ceiling tiles, as a ruckus was going on where I could hear the, the surgeon swearing, and I could hear a lot of activity, which turned my attention toward what was happening just in time to see my body being flipped over from laying face down to face up and realizing that that was me. And, and so I, I was feeling very calm, very much detached from this body that I was observing. And yeah, I was realizing that 
if my consciousness was separate, then I must be dead. And if I was dead, then somehow I had to get to my husband and my children. And so that was my impetus. And as I thought that, my, my consciousness was literally able to move out of that operating room through a wall and into the hallway that I had come down. And I retraced everything in terms of my path to get into the OR suite and out into another hallway in the hospital, um, trying to get to where a waiting room where my husband and kids were. And as I was in the process of moving, I suddenly heard a telepathic voice. And it said, pay attention to this man. And so my attention was drawn to a man who was rushing back in the direction that I had just come from. And I was immediately able to like zoom in on him very close to see what clothing he was wearing, to see his eye color, his hair color, just really a very close look at him, which was pretty startling given that I'm very nearsighted and without my glasses, I normally can't see my hand in front of my face. And not to mention hearing this telepathic voice. And as he rushed past me and toward the operating suite, um, I also heard in my mind as though I was hearing his thoughts and his thoughts were about needing to get in into that OR urgently. And I also heard the thoughts of a man who was just happened to be standing in the hallway and down near that area. And that man's thoughts were about how, how can this guy think that he can just go in there? You know, he's just dressed like everybody else and people aren't allowed to go into there. And so the man I was told to pay attention to slowed down for a moment. And then the doors or double oars doors to the OR suite opened and he rushed inside. And then I immediately was thinking the waiting room still have to get to that waiting room. But before I could, I felt as though I was no longer directing where I was going, but I was being pulled literally up out of this floor, up through the ceiling, into the following, the next floor of the hospital, continuing to be pulled like this until I was completely outside of the hospital and way up into the sky. And as I was up very high in the sky, I suddenly, the direction that I was being pulled was changed and I was pulled horizontally instead of upward and rushed out over the whole city of Anchorage, which was where this hospital was located. And Anchorage sits on a bay. And as, as I was reaching the water, I suddenly was pulled into what looked like an enormous dark cave or, or tunnel. And once inside this tunnel type thing, it was extremely dark, but I, I went from moving quickly to moving extremely fast. And I saw nothing but darkness for a while until I saw a pinprick of light in the far distance and yet at the speed that I was moving, this light pinprick of light became bigger and bigger and bigger because I was approaching it that fast. 
And I just, as it got too huge to take up the entire entrance, um, I just burst right into it. And as I burst into this light, in addition to the calm and peace that I had been feeling all along, I suddenly was filled with this enormous sense of huge unconditional love and and peace and joy and and bliss and just adjectives don't even begin to describe this feeling of how it changed and yet I thought as I burst into there and into this huge light where am I and so I I thought well I to look down for some reason and as I my attention was drawn down, I noticed just brown, rocky, very arid looking ground. And I thought immediately, oh, I thought I was going to be in heaven, you know, if I'm dead. And am, is that where I am? This is bizarre. You know, it didn't seem right. And then another telepathic voice uh, spoke off to my left and it said, follow me. And so as I, my attention was turned that way, I saw that there was a man who was climbing up out of this area that I had come out into. If there was like a slope to come up and out of it. And I was immediately just a few feet behind him. And so I was examining him pretty closely from behind and noticed that his hair was almost black um, that he had it tied back with a, a piece of leather that what he was wearing was like just kind of an off-white simple toga-like garment and came down only about midway on his, his thighs and it was tied with another um, piece of leather and then on his feet he had sandals that tied crisscrossed up his calves and tied off below his, his knees. And so again, my thought was, well, I thought I should be in heaven. And I thought that the first person I would see would be Jesus. And so I thought somehow this guy doesn't, I isn't who I thought Jesus would look like. And so I was puzzled. I was continuing to be puzzled, followed him up over the slope. And as it opened up at the top of the slope, it opened up into a, a totally different landscape that was extremely green and lush and filled, just dotted with beautiful flowers and, and colors that you can't even begin to describe. And the grass, and the flowers, and in the distance, there were trees. Everything that I saw had this same brilliant light that I had burst into within it, and also emanating light out, as though everything I was looking at was alive and filled with this light. And the man that I was told to follow, I, I thought of, well, he's guiding me. He's, And he had gone on ahead, and spoke again for me to follow him. And I was instantly behind him as he was standing on the bank of a river. And this river was just beautiful, glistening 
uh, clear but sparkling like diamonds and and giving off the same light and just the most gorgeous water. And on the opposite bank, I saw, began to see my deceased relatives. And the first and was my father who had passed away when I was seven and my brother who had been killed in a car accident. But, uh, and they were in the midst of a huge group of family members and several of them I recognized as uh, uncles or aunts, cousins that had, had passed away. And there were also four that were, I knew I should know who they were. It was this feeling of, I should know these people. And as instantly as I thought that, I had the realization, oh, these are my grandparents because all four of my grandparents had passed away before I was even born. But I somehow knew that's who they were. And everyone was so thrilled and happy to see me as I was to see them. And it was like, oh, this is so wonderful. I can't wait to be with them. And yet my guide said, no, we have to go somewhere else first. And so I was really disappointed, but I wasn't steering myself through well any of this part of the experience I was having, I was being drawn. And so I continued to be drawn with my guide down uh, until the, the river curved. And around this curve was a huge opening. And in the center of the opening was a huge, beautiful, glowing white building that looked like you might think of Greek or Roman architecture, um, enormous white columns in front, uh, a huge entry doorway area, lots of stairs going up to that entryway. And I began to see other um, spiritual beings there that I didn't know, but just were spiritual people. And they were in small groups at the foot of the stairs and uh, coming down the stairs and my guide went up to the very doorway and said to follow him again so we entered into the building and once inside this the interior of it appeared very different than you might see from the outside it became as though it was an enormous library and it was very 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 long that that you just could keep walking on and on and on. And on either side, as far up as you could see, as though there were no ceiling, there were floor upon floor upon floor upon floor of of packed in books and scrolls. Um, and down through the center of this whole entryway were tables. And the spiritual beings were sitting at the tables or standing and and were looking at books and and the my guide mentioned that this was where the books of life were stored but that we were not staying here and we had to go down to another area so i followed them all the way through this very long area and into an, another hallway and then through a doorway into a much smaller room and in this area, there were spiritual beings who were already there, 
and they were around sitting as though around like a huge oval conference type of a table and as as though waiting for us and i felt as though i should know who these things were and that they knew me very well but i didn't i wasn't able to identify them like i was with my my family members and my guide then said we're going to show you your life up to this point and as he said that, the whole center of this oval that had appeared to be almost like clear, like a, a glass bottom boat or something, it suddenly raised up out of it like a hologram and began playing from my birth on through. And as it was happening, I, was, I wasn't just watching it like a bystander, I became myself at all of those different points in my life, all the interactions with the different people. And I felt my emotions again, but I also was able to feel as though I was the other person that I was interacting with. And if I had behaved hurtfully, I was feeling that hurt of that other person and not only feeling it, but also seeing how that person carried it away and how it ended up with them acting in ways that hurt people totally separate from this interaction. And it just rippled out. But the same thing was true with very nice and kind things and um, loving things that I had said or done. I could feel, oh, wow, that impacted someone a lot more than I realized. And they felt that that increase in, in in good feelings that they felt they carried and, and treated other people and it rippled on continually from there. So it was just this beautiful, beautiful experience, but also a real depth of understanding um, of how everybody interacts with one another and what the long-term impacts can be. And so it seemed to happen in an instant, but, but still to go on and on and on. That time really is totally different than what it is here. It's like everything can happen all at once, but then still be very, very long and going on. So at that point, I, I was told by my guide, you can stay or you can return to your life. But if you choose to return to your life, we want to show you things that definitely will happen and things that very likely will happen, but it can't be said to be certain because every person has free will. And the people that you will be interacting with, they, they may possibly choose differently than what we anticipate. And so this entire event may not even happen or may not happen in this way. And so then they showed me all of this. And at that point, I know that something else happened because I was there's a gap in what I'm remembering. And I am instantly in a totally different room with my guide, a much smaller room. And my guide is saying, I want to show you the prayers of people that you ask to pray for you, that you wouldn't have to have this spinal fusion. And 
So off to my right, I saw what looked like musical notes on a score. And, you know, there were whole notes, there were quarter notes that were darker colored. And instead of being like going horizontally across a score, they were one note at a time linking upward and coming closer and closer to where we were. And my guide said, every, every prayer has its own unique vibration. And though I didn't hear sound, I wasn't hearing music. I just saw these prayers represented as though they were musical notes. And then my guide said, I also want to show you what's happening in the hospital waiting room. And so off to my other side, to my left, I looked and it was as though there was no ceiling in this waiting room. And I was a, looking from above and seeing my husband standing at the door with the doctor who had operated on me and my two children sitting behind and, and toward a, a small couch that was in this room. And I saw that my daughter who was frantic and worried that I had died and that that's what that doctor being there meant was that. And she prayed at that point that I wouldn't be, wouldn't be dead, that I would live. And her prayer then became the last musical note that attached. And as it attached and reached where we were, it was as though it was the culmination of everything that that then caused me to be able to feel all of my emotion of being Karen, of being my kid's mother, of being my husband's wife, of, of all of my human emotion. And I knew that the decision I would need to make would be to come back to my life. I did not want my children to grow up without their mother like I had grown up without my father. And so it was, it was, it was set. And at that point, my guide said, you're not going to be able to remember anything about what we showed you of your future, because that would remove your free will. But we will allow you to remember enough of this experience that you will know that it absolutely happened and we'll even give you a sign and proof that it took place. And with that, I don't remember traveling back to my body, going into my body. I only remember waking up in a recovery room with my husband and kids there and instantly being still filled with this enormous love and peace that I had felt all during my near-death experience. And I, instantly I knew how that it had actually literally happened. And so that was my experience. And during the 12 days that I followed while I was in the hospital, um, there was a doctor who came in to follow up with me. And in the instant I saw him, I knew he was the man that I had been told to pay attention to. And he had been, had, was, had called, been called in to be able to try to repair an artery that had been caught, that had caused me to bleed out and had caused my whole near-death experience. And uh, after discharge and after I was home, 
um, and had told my husband about my experience. My husband and I went to have staples removed from my incision, and I decided that I was going to ask this doctor if what I saw um, when I had my experience is what happened. And so I did. I described seeing him in the hallway. I described what he was wearing, I, these regular street clothes. And his response was, how could you know that? I was in my office seeing patients. And that's when I was page stat to come in to try to save uh, the life of someone who had bled out on the operating room table. And yes, that's that's how I came. So that was my proof. And that's my experience. Wow. Well, I got goosebumps so many times during that. Thank you so much, Karen, for sharing that. That What a, a powerful experience. Do you mind if I ask you a few questions? Not at all. No. <laughs> so clinically dead and verified by the doctor. I mean, there is no, there's so much evidence that uh, consciousness survives beyond the death of the physical body. When you realized you saw your body on the operating table you were still were you still identified as Karen or the Karen I'm talking to now or were you what does it's hard to describe in words and you did such a good job um yes I I felt all of who I was I didn't lose my identity um as my consciousness was outside my body. In fact, that's why I had that impetus to try to get to the waiting room because I was very conscious that I was Karen. Mm -hmm. um, and so none of that was lost as my consciousness was outside my body. And, and you know, we always think in, in human terms that of course, you, you know, your heart was directed towards your husband and your children. You traveled there in thought in some way as a, mm -hmm. a point of consciousness. And it's so interesting that you were able to read other people's thoughts because really, I guess, all thoughts are not secret. Oh, well, certainly not on the other side. <laughs> <laughs> but even as I was there, um, yeah, it, it just seemed as though because I no longer was using a body, um, the whole means of communication was different. And it was all mental. And it was all thought, you know, thought process, but not actually even thought process. It was literally my, my spiritual being, being able to communicate completely with other people. And it was almost effortless. It wasn't hard work, this telepathic communication. It yeah, was almost I'll, like you'd done it before, perhaps. Right, it, it, as though I completely knew that that was how to communicate or or didn't even have to try. It just was mm. instantaneous. It wasn't um, like learning another language. It wasn't hard work. It was just known. Exactly. And, you know, I've come to believe that your your spiritual consciousness and your bodily consciousness are two very different things. Um, and that was really made clear to me when I, in that recovery room, when I came back into my body, because as I explained, I, I was filled with that same peace and love and, and awareness of the experience I had just had. But my 
bodily consciousness that is filtered through the brain, that consciousness was under anesthesia still, coming out of anesthesia. And I literally, operating through that consciousness, I I did not know why I was in the hospital. I had forgotten that I was having a back operation. I couldn't figure out why my stomach was huge and bloated and had all these staples down it. And I was befuddled and and wondering if I had just had a cesarean section and had a baby. I mean, that's the way my brain consciousness was befuddled and operating. But at the same time, my spiritual consciousness was fully aware of the experience I had just had. So I, I literally think there are two totally different consciousness. Um, so, so interesting. And, and many near-death experiences, or most of them, recall the experience as if it was so real. It had always, it's just, there's absolutely no doubt, but it wasn't a dream, wasn't imagined. It, it was so real. And 20, 30, 40, 50 years later, it's so real. Yes, 40-some years in my case. And and so real and so detailed that it is it has been a part of me at at that level for all those years since whereas for example i never went back to alaska shortly after this we moved back to new york and i've never been back there since and i've often thought if i went back to the hospital that i worked at and where this took place i wouldn't even be able to find my way to the the therapy department that I worked in because it's just been that long ago. I just wouldn't, wouldn't, that memory is gone, but not this. No, profound. Um, I just wanted to ask you about your spirit guide. So he, he, well, maybe they don't have a humanist, but a, a, a agenda, but he appeared in a physical form as you described. Right. And yes, sorry. Um, and over the many years since this happened, I've I have tried to study and find explanations and try to understand all of what took place because I changed so radically afterward. And so one of the things I learned to do was to meditate. And fairly early on in, in my meditation, I would be able to see uh, my guide that had been with me during this near-death experience and would always appear within my mind's eye dressed as he was then looking as he did then and so yeah but he I realized that he was one of my spiritual guides and um and so that was something that was part of my learning process afterward and um the, the library, as you call it, some people may call it the Akashic Records. It's so interesting, all the, the, the histories of of souls. Yes. Yeah. I would have I wanna would have wanted to look at mine and see. <laughs> I know. Uh, well, it was like I, I wasn't really given a choice. And at that point I wasn't really even fully understanding that that all of those books and scrolls represented different lifetimes 
of individual souls and that there would be within it um, one or several that would represent lifetimes I had lived or the one that I was currently living. It, it just didn't click together until long after as I would study and learn about that there was such a thing as the Akashic Records. And reincarnation and so many things. After this powerful, memorable, incredible experience, what what do you think happens what, when we transition into, from our physical body and do not return to the earthly plane? Well, it's it's hard for me to know for sure. Um, I do believe that this area, this realm that I I visited, certainly isn't just one that just I personally happened to to be. Um, I honestly felt, having seen my my other deceased relatives there, that this is um, an afterlife location realm that people do inhabit and experience when when they pass away and so in learning about that I've I ended up over many years later finding a, a book or being referred to a book that's called Journey of Souls by Michael Newton mm-hmm. and in it this hypnotherapy person Michael Newton kind of stumbled upon the fact that as he was doing hypnosis with individual people that they would be able to tell him about where they were and what they were experiencing before they were born in this life as well as talk about what what he termed past lives and so that all kind of made sense to me as well and one of the things that struck me that he said and explained that really made things make a lot more sense to me um, was that all of us who incarnate into an earthly life only take a percentage of our higher self or true soul with us as we're living this incarnated life and that the other percentage of us remains always in the afterlife. And I've had people talk to me and say, oh, I'm so afraid that by the time I die, if my daughter who passed away or my son who passed away, they will have already reincarnated into another life and I won't see them when I die. We won't be together. And that really solved that for me because there's always that percentage of our true higher self that is there. And so there's no chance that you don't. I mean, not reunited. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Love love is eternal. Oh, for certain. And and again, it's the lack of understanding of time being eternal and yet time not being linear in the afterlife like it is here so it's not like oh you've got to get from point a to point z and by the time you do somebody else will have you know because you're thinking linear time 
and linear time is not what exists in the afterlife. And so multiple different time periods are happening at the same time and multiple things, interactions can take place that can't if you're just simply thinking of a straight line linear time. Thank you. I mean, of course, this was life-changing, this experience. How has it changed the rest of your life? What effects did well, it have on you? Um, it's changed things dramatically. Um, I think that's true for pretty much all near-death experiencers. Um, I've, I've come to believe that the reason that people have a near-death experience is because they have they have been a part of a plan for what their lifetime will encompass and what they would really like to experience and and have happen within that lifetime. And I think when people are getting way off track of what they had really hoped to accomplish in that lifetime, that 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 may be the impetus behind a near-death experience taking place because it always seems like it is a major reset for who the person is when they come back and how they change, how they behave and what they do afterward. And I think a big part of that is that that perception that you gain from a life review of how every small thing that you think of in an interaction with people can have long ranging effects going out from them in that ripple. And so when you come back with a real grasp of that, it very much changes how you interact with other people and what really are your priorities in life and you know, just so many other things. I think you just kind of said it, but based on your experience, what's your advice for the audience to how to live their most aligned life? What matters? Well, um, I have a friend <laughs> um, that I've met through, you know, my interactions with other people who are interested in near-death experiences or have had them themselves. And um, this friend, his name is Jeff Jansen. And what he has done is he has written books. And basically in his books, he did not have a near-death experience. He has, has utilized the entire concept of a life review and, and helped to instruct other people to basically do a mental life review of themselves and particularly almost like a daily meditation. Okay, I've closed out this day. This is the interactions that I had. You know, how could I have acted in a more uh, compassionate, positive way with everybody I interacted with, knowing that they will take that interaction and it will ripple out from there. So I think everyone has that opportunity if they give themselves that opportunity to really um, benefit from the actual life reviews that near-death experiencers do go through 
and just start using it within themselves. And yes, every thought, every action matters and has an incredible ripple out effect. I've got one more question for you, but first for the audience, okay. I will leave a link in the show notes. Where's the best place for people to connect with you? Uh, well, uh, I typically have, tell people that they can reach me via my email. And my email address is B-L-A-N-C-E-T-H at L-I-V-E dot com. And if they do have thoughts or, or questions that popped up to them, um, if they send that email and in the subject line, they put saw your NDE interview in that subject line, then I'll realize that it is someone who has a genuine thought or question or you know, just a desire to ask me something. And then I can respond from that. Well, I hope you don't get too many emails, but thank you. <laughs> um, final question. I get this question all the time. You probably do. Many people are afraid of dying. What mm. is your advice? Well, my advice is I, I, I think when people are afraid of dying, what they're truly afraid of are two things. One is the actual physical process of dying and the pain and dependent on what is causing the death that they fear having to go through. And then the other thing that's, I think, just as big a fear for most people is their fear that they will be ex extinguished and no longer exist in any form at all. There will be no more me. You know, and that that I will disappear as though I never had had occurred and I won't there will be no me any longer. So I think those are the two big fears. For the second fear of that extinguishing of self, I think near death experiences are a great help for people to read about them and to understand that, like, for example, in my case, uh, there was no pain whatsoever. And, and that myself, as I was, continued to be myself. Um, and in terms of the physical death, pain, fear, um, again, I think sometimes near-death experiences can be of help there in that many near-death experiencers who had a traumatic thing happen to them that caused them to leave their body, they report that they, before they felt any sort of pain of the injury, they had already, their consciousness had already separated from their body and they would not, they were not aware of that pain. Um, so those are two things, two ways in which it can help, I think. Thank you, Karen. Well, thank you so much for your openness, vulnerability, honesty. Is there anything else you'd like to share with the Passion Harvest audience that I haven't asked you today? No, 
I, I think it's been a very comprehensive, you know, quest, questioning. Yeah. Um, you know, there's always different things that people are aware of or, or think about and, and concern them. Um, but those those are very individual to the people themselves. So I can't think of anything other than what I've already said in terms of um, really trying to be aware of of how a life review can be a tool that you can use um, to help yourself uh, act with more compassion and, and understanding in all your interactions with people. Yes, be kind. Well, Karen Thomas, thank you so much for being on Passion Harvest. It's been my pleasure. Oh, thank you. I'm I'm glad that you thought to give ask me, and oh. I'm glad that I could share what. Thank I, you, <laughs> thank you experience. so much. Really, really, really an honor. Oh, thank you. Bye. Karen. <laughs>